the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. They normally did not have the women sitting with the men at the table. And she must have come from behind holding this alabaster jar of costly imported perfume. She then breaks the slender neck of the flask and just starts pouring the contents on Christ's head. After that, she pours the rest of the perfume on his feet and wipes him with her hair. No one expected this. No one asked her to do this. It just caught everyone by surprise. And the question is, why did she do this? Why would she humiliate herself, lower her hair and lower herself to to clean filthy feet? I mean, even if this was the Son of God, these are filthy feet. Why would she do this? True worship always comes from a grateful heart. You can't be proud or selfish and worship. Why? Because your heart is divided. On Verse by Verse, we've been studying worship. Today, Steve Kreloff is going to show us a person who loved Jesus so much that it didn't matter what other people said about her. She wanted and needed to worship him with everything she had. That's the attitude we need in our worship. Let's listen now to Pastor Steve. A number of years ago, the well-known Bible teacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse, he made a classic statement on the relationship between love and worship. And I've never forgotten it. It's a marvelous statement. Here's what he said. He said, love that stoops is grace. Love that reaches out on our level from one person to another is affection. But love that rises up to God is worship. Love that rises up to God is worship. And he was absolutely right. Worship is the expression of our love rising up to God. This morning, as we conclude our brief series on worshiping God, we're going to look at one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture of love rising up to God. We're going to study the story of a woman known as Mary of Bethany who worshiped Jesus by anointing him with expensive perfume. Now, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 14. I won't take the time now to read it again, but uh, we will read it as we go through this passage. But Mark chapter 14 tells us about Mary coming and anointing the Lord Jesus. This, her story is found in three out of the four gospel accounts, and it's a story that every one of us should know and remember and be familiar with and never forget, and I'll tell you why. Because if you notice, verse 9 says this, Jesus speaking, says, and he says this, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. So Jesus said, wherever you hear the gospel, I want you to know what Mary did to me. Now why? Why is it that important what a woman 2,000 years ago did to Jesus in anointing him? Well, let me set the context for you, and I think you'll, you'll see the point. 
Notice in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, we're told the setting. Now, the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, meaning that the feast of the Passover was coming up. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. So let me let me set the scene here. This, is, uh, this takes place during the last week of our Lord's life. He has come to Jerusalem, as did most of the Jewish people from around Israel would come to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover in order to sacrifice a lamb at the temple area. You couldn't just sacrifice outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem and its temple, that was the place. And so the city of Jerusalem now is filled with thousands upon thousands of people, many Galileans who had come from the north and had, and had traveled down south who, uh, who followed Jesus. They were there. And the religious leaders have a dilemma. They have decided that Jesus must die. They have been rebuked by him. They understand that this is getting out of hand. Too many people are interested in him. They don't want to lose their uh, influence and, and their uh, political uh, connections with, with Rome. And so they have decided that Jesus must go. But they have a problem. They don't know when they're going to do it. They want to do it now. They, want, they don't want to wait. However, they're afraid that if they kill him during the past, over time, in full view of all the people they seize him, there's liable to be a riot because he's popular. That's the setting. So they've got a problem. Now, then we're given the story of Mary coming and anointing Jesus. And then we're immediately told in verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money, and he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. The leaders have a dilemma. We want to kill Jesus, but we don't want to grab him in front of all the people lest there be a riot. And Judas comes along and says, I can solve this problem for you. I'll lead you to him. I'll lead you to him when there's a quiet moment. I know where he'll be. And I'll lead you to him so you can take him without disturbing the people. Now let me set uh, let me tell you what's happening here. Let me tell you what Mark's purpose is. Let me tell you what the spirit of God is doing here. You have the hatred of the Jewish leaders. You have the hatred of Judas and his betrayal and uh, right in the midst of that you have Mary coming to display the most precious uh, expression of affection and love for Jesus Christ. Do you see the message? The message is this. The Lord is saying, in essence, sandwiched between intense hatred directed towards Jesus, I am presenting to you the precious example of how I want to be loved and worshipped. This is how the world hates me, but this, Mary, illustrates to you how a believer should worship me. I want you to see against the darkness of hatred and animosity I want you to see the way I really want to be worshipped. She is an example for you of worship and love rising up to me in affection and worship. Mary, in other words, is a model for us. She is an illustration for us, and Jesus has established her as a permanent illustration 
This is how he wants to be worshipped. This is, is how he wants us to uh, to worship him and follow her example. Now, we have looked in, in several weeks in our study of of worship. We have looked at, at several questions and answered them from the Bible concerning worship. We look first of all at what is worship, the meaning of worship. What does it mean? It means to give of ourselves and everything that comes with us, our praise, our, our adoration, our reverence, our obedience. That's what worship means. Literally, it means to bow down, to kiss towards. We worship God. Secondly, we ask this question, why is worship important? We know what it is, but why is it so important? And the answer is because God is worthy alone. There's nobody else to compare with God. And he is pleased when we worship him. God derives pleasure. He says that our worship is like a sweet-smelling fragrance ascending to, to him. He's speaking, of course, in human terminology, so we can grasp that. But God derives pleasure from our worship. Then we ask this question, what is acceptable worship to God? Because not all worship is accepted by Him. And from to answer that question, we went to John chapter 4 in Jesus' conversation with a Samaritan woman. And there He outlines for her and for us what is acceptable worship, to worship Him in spirit, passion, and in truth, based on the Word of God. And then last week, we looked at the elements of a church worship service because the Word of God not only teaches that we ought to worship God privately, personally, but that on Sundays, the Lord's Day, we come together to worship Him. What should a worship service consist of? And we, we looked at that last week. Now, this morning, we want to take it a step further, and this will be our closing message on worship. But we want to ask this question, what does worship look like? What does worship look like? How does a true believer really worship God? When after you look at the theology, how's it done? And Mary is a picture for us. Mary illustrates to us what worship is really like, how it looks, how it looks. And this morning, we do want to look closely at how Mary worshiped the Lord Jesus so we can discover exactly how her worship serves as an example to us. And if you're taking notes, what we're going to look at, we're going to isolate and identify two specific qualities of her worship that made Jesus so pleased with her devotion. And we ought to emulate this. The story reveals two characteristics of how, of how God wants our love to rise up to Him in worship. Number one, Love that rises up to God in worship is characterized by, first of all, gratitude, a thankful heart. Verse 3 of, of Mark 14. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining a table there, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. And we're told that while Jesus was in Bethany, Bethany was a, a, a little village just a couple of miles away from Jerusalem, he accepted a dinner invitation to the home of a man called Simon the leper. Apparently, Simon had once been a leper, but had been healed by Jesus. And we say um, apparently because he certainly would not have been a leper now. If he, was a, uh, if he was a leper, there would be nobody dining with him, a contagious disease. So we really could, could call him Simon, Simon the former leper because Jesus had healed him. 
According to John's gospel, there were other guests at this, this dinner. There was Lazarus, who Jesus had recently raised from the dead, and Lazarus had two sisters, the famous Martha and Mary's sisters, and they were there, as well as the twelve disciples who accompanied him everywhere. And it would appear that this dinner was given in honor of Christ. Why? Because out of appreciation for all he had done for them, he had healed Simon of his leprosy and he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So this was a dinner to honor the Lord. This was a dinner of appreciation. But while they were reclining at the table, enjoying their meal, and they did recline, by the way, they were not sitting at a table. Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper, is a great piece of art, but it is culturally not accurate. They didn't sit at the table. They reclined. They had their, their arms down and their head on their elbows, and they were stretched out. So imagine that. But while they were reclining at that table, they were enjoying their meal. The Bible tells us that Lazarus' sister Mary did a most amazing thing to Jesus. We're told that she came with an alabaster vial of costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Now, in John's Gospel, it says that she also poured it on his feet and then wiped his feet with her hair. Very unusual. Women uh, did not uh, let their hair down in, in public, especially with men there. That usually was the sign of a, of a woman with loose morals. And they certainly, it was rare to, to wipe someone's feet with your hair. Uh, that would have shown a great honor. Remember, um, what, what is happening? They didn't have paved roads. They had pretty cruddy feet. And she is wiping his feet with her hair. Most unusual. And, and, and most humiliating, I might add. Now, this is an amazing thing that, that took place. Let me, I, I want to give you more of a graphic picture of this so I can paint this for you in your mind. Jesus is reclining at the table. Mary unexpectedly approaches Christ. She must have come from behind. They normally did not have the women sitting with the, uh, the men at the table. And she must have come from behind, holding this alabaster jar of costly imported perfume. She then breaks the slender neck of the flask and just starts pouring the contents on Christ's head. After that, she pours the rest of the perfume on his feet and wipes him with her hair. No one expected this. No one asked her to do this. It just caught everyone by surprise. And the question is, why did she do this? Why would she humiliate herself and, and, and lower her hair and lower herself to, to clean filthy feet? I mean, even if this was the Son of God, these are filthy feet. Why would she do this? Unusual, rare. Why? Well, the answer is really not given to us in Mark's gospel. It may be implied there, but John does tell us why. And I'd like you to turn to the gospel of John, just uh, two gospels over. John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, John indicates to us exactly why Mary did this. It's the same story. John may give us a few more details here, but basically the same story. It says in verse 2, so they made him a supper there. So that would appear that they honored him. They made him a supper, and Martha was serving, as Martha usually did. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Now, that's important. John tells us Lazarus was there. Lazarus, whom he just raised from the dead, John chapter 11. Verse 3, 
Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let me suggest to you, my translation says Mary then. It really should say Mary therefore, or therefore Mary did this. The thought is that what Mary did points back to verse 2, and what verse 2 tells us is that her brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, was now reclining there, happy and healthy with Christ. Therefore, because of that, because of what Jesus had done for her brother and her family, Mary anointed the Lord. See, Mary was just grateful to Christ, grateful for what he had done for her family, and and she just wanted to express her gratitude with a display of fervent devotion to the Lord. This is nothing but pure gratitude. That's why she did this. She is just so thrilled. She is so grateful. She is so thankful that, that Jesus came and raised her brother back to life that she just expresses worship of him. Now, what this tells us about our devotion to Christ is that true worship, and note this, true worship always springs from a grateful heart. Always thankful for what he's done for us. Every praise that is uttered from our lips is a praise stemming from a heart filled with with gratitude. That is extremely important to understand. Gratitude is the root of praise and worship. Gratitude. A thankful person is a worshiping person. An ungrateful person does not worship. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and in verses 3 through 14, um, I want to read it to you and comment along the way. It is, uh, in the Greek text, it is one sentence. It is really what we would call a run-on sentence. But Paul was so thrilled and got so caught up in this great salvation and the blessings that God has given to us in Christ that he didn't even stop. He just went on and on and on until he comes to his conclusion in verse 14. But I want you to see that Paul doesn't just tell us what Christ has done for us in salvation. He also stops three times and says, let's praise him to the praise of the glory of his grace. A thankful heart. He is praising God for for what God has done in salvation. Let's begin at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul says God is to be praised, God is to be blessed. It literally means God is to be spoken well of. It's like uh, the word we have uh, to eulogize someone. He says, blessed be God for what he's done for us, all the blessings we have in salvation. And then he begins to name some of them. Just as he, first of all, he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We were chosen. We didn't choose him. He chose us. That we would be holy and blameless before him. God ultimately will make us holy and blameless. And even now in his sight we are. In love he predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. And then Paul says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Why has God done this? Why has God chosen us? Why has God put us in his family? Why has God made us holy and blameless and predestined us to be his adopted children that we might praise the glory of his grace? 
that we may say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing this. I worship you. I praise you. But he's not finished. Verse 7, in him, meaning Christ, the beloved one, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That means he's forgiven us of all sins, according to the riches of his grace. How rich is his grace? It's incredible. He says in verse 8, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in himself. God has been so kind. God's intentions towards his people are kind with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance. We have an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his good will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be, what? To the praise of his glory when we recognize how kind God has been, how, how his purposes and counsels will all come to pass. He says, to the praise of, the, of his glory. And notice verse 13, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed uh, in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The moment you trusted Christ, God sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You're his own for all of eternity. That is a mark that says that you belong to him. You are secure. But he says more about the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit doesn't just seal us, God doesn't seal us alone with the Spirit of God, but the Holy Spirit is his down payment. It's the pledge that there's more to come. If you think this is great, you haven't seen anything yet. And then Paul concludes probably by taking a breath of air. He says, to the praise of his glory. Three times Paul says we praise God because of this great salvation. You see, the more you discover and understand what Christ has done for you in salvation, the more you will be thankful. And the more thankful you are, the more you will worship Him because the natural expression of thankfulness is worshiping God. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the, the opening message on worship looked at that verse where Paul says, I urge you, brethren, based on God's mercies to you, that you present yourselves a, a living sacrifice to Him, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. In other words, now that you know how kind God has been to you, what more can you do but give Him your life? That's thankfulness. But those who are not thankful, they never worship the Lord. I'd like you to look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, as we said a few weeks ago, reveals to us that ancient man, though he, he knew about God through creation, through nature, turned away from God, rejected the light, but there's something more to it than that, and it's the same dilemma that modern man has. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, perhaps the most important verse in this chapter is an overlooked verse. In verse 21, Paul, Paul really tells us why man turns away. Have you ever wondered that? Why did man turn away? And why does he continue to? Verse 21, for even though they knew God, meaning they knew about God, they had some knowledge of God, the heavens declare the glory of God. They knew about God. They did not honor him as God, which means they didn't glorify him. 
or give thanks. They didn't worship God. They refused to worship God because they refused to give thanks to him. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Their lack of thanksgiving led to idolatry. They refused to humble their proud hearts and say, we give God glory and we thank him for what he's given us. Instead, they became self-sufficient, independent, and their foolish heart was darkened, and they began to worship creatures rather than the Creator. So if you're having a problem with worshiping God, then it probably stems, probably stems from an ungrateful heart. You need to cultivate a grateful heart. We all do. None of us have perfect, uh, a perfectly grateful heart. We're all developing in this area, but some have developed a little bit more than others. A worshiping person is a grateful person. If we really know Jesus Christ and understand what it costs to forgive us, we can't help but be thankful for what he has done. Our thankfulness will always lead us to humble ourselves and worship him. Mary showed us the attitude of a thankful person. We can't pour expensive perfume on Jesus, but we can give everything just to honor him. Thanks for listening with us today. We'd love to be able to help you in any way we can. There are resources available at our website, versebyverseradio.org, or give us a call at 727-239-0306. We can answer your questions and counsel you on how to respond to this important message. You can also donate financially to this ministry. We are on the air because of the generous gifts of our listeners. On behalf of Pastor Steve and all the staff here at Verse by Verse, this is Jerry Pruden inviting you to listen in next time on Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.